0: Today is an episode you don't wanna miss. I got to talk to Alan Aragon. He is a leading nutrition researcher and educator, and he's very well known in the nutrition space. He is a pioneer in evidence-based fitness and nutrition. We talk so much about protein, about macros. Uh, We talked a lot about um, busting a lot of nutrition myths, such as seed oils, such as um, nutrients and protein timing, how to maximize your protein consumption, and does it really matter We talked um, very simple numbers for you to take home with some take-home messages. Should we eat on rest days the same as we do on days we exercise? What's really important there? We talked about the missing macro. Uh, So many nuggets of information. Don't miss this episode. Um, Again, share it with your friends. Do all the things. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, and let's get to the show. All right. We are on. What is up, you guys? I am here with Alan Aragon. That's how I say your last name, right?
1: That sounds perfect. Okay. I mean, there's a way you can try to make it Spanish sounding, but I never do that. So you're good.
0: <laughs> okay. You know, real quick side side note already. Uh, Alan was the only person in the entire universe that has ever said my last name correctly without hearing it by just seeing it because i was on one of your instagram lives many many months ago probably a couple of years ago maybe a year ago i don't know uh and you said pam grushak and you said grushak and everybody says grishak and and so i was actually pretty impressed so <laughs> um I, I,
1: I get things right once in a while
0: <laughs> yeah that was really good so <laughs> most people get it wrong um yeah. so you guys that are watching. Um, this is Alan Aragon. If you don't already don't know who he is, go follow him on Instagram. You probably already follow him, but if not, go look him up. I'm going to give him a quick introduction, even though he deserves a very long one. Uh, he is all over the place. He is a nutrition researcher. We settled on that, right? Nutrition researcher and educator um, of over 25 years. So I have followed Alan real loosely, I would say, since the bodybuilding.com era of forums. And he was on there. Um, I just remember his name, and that's why I followed him on Instagram. So he's been around. If any of you guys know what those forums were, it was before MySpace, it was before all of the social media. Uh, he was on there spitting out facts, really just kind of digging into, I guess, the nerdy side of things, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So way back, um, he's got lots of success in that. Um, You are basically a leader in the, I would say, evidence-based fitness. And I say that, I don't know if that's really a thing. I know Mm evidence-based nutrition, um, but fitness uh, is is something that I kind of obviously follow. So evidence-based fitness, kind of movement maybe. Um, I feel like you're a pioneer into that. Um, kind of evidence-based kind of stuff that's kind of happening now. The uh, So that's, that's Alan. Um, before we get started into lots of questions that my personal community, online community, again, CrossFit community, I always throw out who's going to be on. We have a lot of questions, but before we get started, I like to know, my favorite thing is always to know why you got into what you're doing. Um, so why did Alan decide to go into nutrition research? What kind of um, drove you to be there?
1: I, I think that there was a lot of influence from my dad who was into the whole training thing and the whole physique culture thing. And he was uh, an amateur boxer at, at a, for a certain time period in his youth. And so um, I, I got that influence from my dad. So my dad bought my brother and I, the, the weeder dumbbell set for kids that were like these plastic things filled with like cement.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I remember those. I didn't have those, but I do know what you're talking about.
1: Yeah. And so he encouraged the, you know, the lifting and the weight training and, and that aspect. And, and it just, it just kind of started from there. And I think everybody naturally is into being fit and healthy and, well-built, whether they realize it or not. And so I think it's almost kind of an innate thing to be into fitness and, sure. and, and health and and just um, having a high quality of life. So uh, I, it was just kind of natural. I don't know. It, that wiring plus the influence from my dad, I, I would say, fueled it. And then, of course, things along the way, like the advent of um, bodybuilding at the Mass scale when when you see the magazine covers back in the in the 90s it was just a very stunning kind of experience to see those folks on the covers of magazines and go oh my gosh (laughs) That, that is spectacular that's fascinating and so i've just always been fascinated by that um and and i i just uh happened to stumble upon the beginning of the the personal training option as a career which started well technically in the mid 80s but i didn't really catch on and become a a (laughs) semi-valid career pursuit until the early mid 90s and then finally by the early 2000s it was a an established career path but um i just uh i was able to catch that wave which was really cool because i started off as an art major um, just because I was just naturally good at art, but I was actually interested in the fitness thing. There just wasn't a definite or in quotes, safe career path for that. And it took some breaking through and some courage to decide to go an unsafe route. Yeah. And it has, uh, served me really well. So that's yeah,
0: I, kind of it. Yeah. I mean, that that's, and I, I think you say, you know, we all kind of, care about how we look. And I would agree with you to an extent, but you know, there, the the bodybuilding and kind of that physique look, it's a, still a very small percentage, I think, of the general public. Um, so I mm. think like we all, I think, you know, when I started as well, I was we all had to go find the magazines, Oxygen and Muscle Mag and, you know, all of those things to see them. There was a social media, um, you know, we all care about what we look like, of course, <laughs> a little bit, uh, um, but you still, I would say don't discredit yourself for that so it wasn't like <laughs> you know that was probably just kind of a calling for you maybe um that you were yeah. kind of attracted to that and wanted to know the how and the why which is different yeah,
1: for sure for sure because, yeah. because
0: yeah. you know you know for me it was more of how do i get there but i don't really care about the why at this point like i'm just i just care how i look like it at all costs it doesn't matter and there's a lot of people that fall in that camp but you were different and you went the route like hey there's gotta be a reason why we're looking like this. What makes mm-hmm. them get that way? So that's pretty cool. And that's that's very unique and different. So um so.
1: Yeah, it is it is kind of different. And mm-hmm. the the way that I fell into the nutrition side of things is at some point along the way, I, I transferred out of my art major and I had to make a decision about whether I wanted to go the nutrition track or the exercise track.
2: Sure.
1: And back in the late 90s, there finally was the option to get a fitness oriented personal training certification, which was mainly being offered by the NASM at the time. And so I'm like, ah, I'll just get the personal training certification and then I'll formal, formally study nutrition in school. And this is something that my girlfriend at the time helped me uh, decide, so she gets credit for that. Okay. Um. Yeah, and, and so at, at, when I was done with my undergrad in nutrition, I just kind of on a whim decided, Hey, I want to get a I want to get a graduate degree in nutrition because every one of my classmates is filing off to become a, a registered dietitian, and I want to have some kind of competitive uh, uh, edge or at least be on par with them competitively in the marketplace. You know, yeah. But I, I was I wasn't interested in in going the route that they were going, which was mainly the clinical route. So I got my graduate degree, and during my graduate degree is where I really kind of fell in love with the science aspect of nutrition and the research aspect of nutrition. And it just kind of fueled my, um, I guess my interest in finding out, okay, what, what's scientifically correct here? Uh, where are the gaps in our knowledge and where do we need to sort of bridge the gap between the claims that are being made in the trenches, like the traditional knowledge in the trenches Mm -hmm. and what's actually been tested objectively, in the research setting. Because as you know, there's a lot of, in quotes, bro science and mythology and just unnecessary and sometimes unproductive practices that go on in the trenches and people succeed in spite of that stuff and not necessarily because of it. And it was just really interesting to me to find out, all right, like, how can, how can science help out with this process of optimizing body composition and performance, and health outcomes. So yeah, yeah I, I really caught the bug during my graduate degree.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's super cool. And, it's, and it is, it's very unique. And I think that's, again, why you're kind of the pioneer. And this is like, you know, you've been around for a long time, but this is like another wave of your time, I feel. And it's so yeah, exciting man. to see. It really is. Um, yeah. I love watching people's passions and careers kind of collide and take off. Um, it really is one of my favorite things to see how they got started, why you start, and then just to see that progression. Super cool, it's inspiring, I think, for anybody to see.
1: I've been enjoying it, Pam, really. And and what's really cool about you mentioning that that it's fun to see people's careers sort of ebb and flow and evolve and flourish. Um, I, I remember Mike O'Hearn on the magazine covers throughout mm-hmm. like most of the 90s.
0: Yeah, me too. <laughs>
1: Yeah. And that it, it is just so fascinating to see his career like really take off 30 years after almost 30 years after his his appearance on the magazine covers. Yeah. Like he was just like a model back then. Mm-hmm. Now he's a thing. <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. He's like, like a household name. Like general and,
0: public would know who he was, kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It's just a small amount of bodybuilding followers. That's right. Mm-hmm.
1: And I never would have figured back in the '90s if somebody told me that, "Hey, Alan, you're eventually going to become friends with Mike."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, how could that possibly happen? I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not in that circle. I'm interested in, you know, the nutrition and yeah. like, like I'm interested in, in in PubMed and all that stuff. But somehow, some way, we connected through social media. We totally hit it off.
0: That's, awesome. <laughs> That's so yeah. cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I I kind of have a similar experience with, um, I used to follow uh, Monica Brandt <laughs> yeah. um, for a long time and uh-huh. I actually had a chance to do, um, I did the very first Arnold Amateur when it came out, not the, the Arnold, but the Arnold Amateur. Mm-hmm. and uh i had a chance at that time to do a photo shoot with her it was a live photo shoot and i you know and that was towards the tail end of my competing career but i said no because i didn't want to meet somebody i looked up to and them disappoint me i was kind of in that mm. mindset. that i was like no nah, i don't really want to i i really like her and i don't want to not like her kind of thing yeah. <laughs> but, um, that's funny so i didn't yeah. but I actually got to know her, uh, just about two years back and now we're friends. So it's kind of, it's kind of cool, uh, because I watched her on the covers. I watched her to go from fitness. I used to watch her on ESPN, um, in Mm. fitness competitions, you know, so, so kind of a similar story, but it is, it is kind of really cool. Um, But Mike (laughs) O'Hearn.
1: She seems like Monica Brandt. She seems like a really genuine and, and, and humble person.
0: She's, she is, uh, you know, her heart and soul is in, um, fitness and, um, you know, uh, she is, she is very professional. Um, she carries herself well. And I think that's, i think that's something that's sometimes lost um along the way uh and she is yeah she's very genuine i've got to know a lot of people within that industry the IFBB um and npc um and met some really cool people so that i you know that i looked up to along the way so that's always really fun um yeah that yeah. is cool yeah so um all right so you got into all that um that's kind of your background now mm-hmm. again there's a gazillion things that i can talk about i have pages and pages of notes but there's a big. We'll just touch on this real quickly. Um, yep. We'll we'll get right to it. Uh, the protein conversation. You don't have to go in depth mm-hmm. about protein. Um, obviously, um, kind of bro science meets real science is kind of where I put your category. Now, mm-hmm. I have heard from other people I've talked to like bro science always has a little bit of truth to it. So you know they take tidbits of little things and the bro science for those that don't know, um, it's basically like the meatheads in the gym that are you know saying pound the protein and then now that protein conversation has come back around but in a more scientific way right so you have a better understanding Mm. so the questions are always how much protein are we supposed to get and i know you've talked about this on every single um, podcast but let's just talk about it today too um how much protein in general should you get for fat loss muscle gain general body composition um and should it should it be distributed throughout the day or should we get it all at once um for body fat and muscle gain the general public
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that
0: that's a good question like can you answer that
1: that's a that's okay. a that's a loaded one that's <laughs> i know it is but yeah, i, I kind of want yeah. to give it
0: all to you so you could because there's so many answers that could go so um that that's kind of who we're talking talking to here you know the the general public wanting to lose some fat, gain some muscle, um, that are maybe beginner or intermediate exercisers. Um, what's the protein number we should be looking for?
1: Okay, good. So that's good that you mentioned who we're addressing here, because with usually with questions, you know, they're usually just thrown out, and then I have to a- answer with a set of <laughs> questions. You know, like right. okay, who are we addressing? What's the population? Yes, and uh, what you know? What's the goal, mm-hmm. and what are the stakes? What's at stake? Are we talking mm-hmm. about the apartment complex pool trophy, or are we talking mm-hmm. about the looking good at the family reunion, or are we talking about you know second versus first place at the state and national level? You know, sure. So okay, so we've established the population and and the stakes, and so mm-hmm. we're talking about the general public and we have established the goal to muscle gain or fat loss. So,
0: our um, overall health and longevity. Um, overall health to- and longevity.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay, we we can weave that in there too yeah. because they're they're related. Mm-hmm. Um before before talking about the um the protein distribution thing, like distribution meaning like spread out through the day or how do we position the constituent doses and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Um uh, we first have to establish that the hierarchy of importance goes like this. The highest level of importance is total daily protein intake, like Mm -hmm. in total by the end of the day. If you nail that part, then you've covered like 90 to 95 ish percent of what you need to cover to reach your goals. And so the way that you spread out the doses or the way that you position the doses or distribute those doses through the course of the day That is just the icing on the cake to get you that tiny little extra percent. um, If you're, if you have those kind of goals to push your potential, Mm -hmm. so we have to get that that straight first. Total daily protein is going to cover everybody, and they don't really, literally, don't need to care about how many meals they consume it in through the course of the day and when. Just get it in by the end of the day. All right.
0: So the big puzzle is protein. So we're right here. mm -hmm. That's the big piece.
1: That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's the, yeah that's right okay and so how much general public uh on the low end
0: let's say low let's low say end. to average exerciser meaning they're meeting average the exerciser. minimum 150 minutes a week 75 vigorous mm-hmm. um, we, um our our community here is going to be a little over that so uh they're going to be maybe 200 to 300 minutes of exercise per week um you know with five days of weight training no longer than 45 minutes okay so that's going to be their their exercise threshold
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so we can base protein needs on total body weight or we can base it on lean body mass uh in a perfect world we would base it on lean body mass but um we live in reality where estimating lean body mass is really just kind of a wild guess. Yeah. So it's just as practical and just as valid to base protein gram targets per day on either your current body weight, if you're at your target or goal body weight, Mm -hmm. or you can base it on your target or goal body weight, which is kind of a proxy for lean body mass anyway, with a little bit of extra margin of safety Mm -hmm. there. So... Total daily protein—the the, the easiest target that kind of catches everybody's goals and and it's sort of the target where health and body composition sort of converge. Okay, so optimizing those two goals and that target is 1.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, or for those in the freedom land, um, <laughs> 0.7 <laughs> grams per pound of body weight.
0: Okay. So 0. that is, is sort of, your, of the that's your minimum. That's where you should go for. Uh, ish.
1: Kind of. Kind can I am. I, 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 I am.
0: I love that there's the no solid answer here. This is great. No. And I'll tell you why in a minute. No. <laughs> it,
1: it's, it's not absolute. I mean, technically you can, you can go down to 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight um, which is about like half a gram per pound. Uh, you can go down that low and you can stay there, but you're not necessarily going to be covered during dieting phases with Mm -hmm. that amount. And you're not necessarily going to be maximizing rates of muscle gain Mm -hmm. at that amount. So it can be suboptimal, but if you're just not necessarily interested (laughs) in, in, um, at enhancing your, your body composition or optimizing body composition, and strength, uh, and muscle gain or retention. And you can just chill it as low as 1.2 grams per kilogram of body weight. But, uh, if you want to optimize these adaptations to training and you want to optimize body composition, mm-hmm. then you are looking at a range of 1.6 to 2.2 grams per, per kilogram of body weight which translates to 0.7 to 1 whole gram per pound of body weight and again we're talking about target body weight or goal yeah. body weight okay and so that would be for the general population who is either recreationally into fitness or and all the way to people who are you know competitive in, in terms of athletics and stuff that range 0.7 to 1.0 grams per per pound of body weight per day covers pretty much everybody. Now, a- anytime you want to kind of go above that, then we're talking about a little bit more specialized goals. But okay. for the Gen Pop, 1.6 to 2.2 2 kilograms uh, grams per kilogram of body weight or 0. 0.7 to 1.0 grams per pound of target body weight.
0: Of goal body weight.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: that's right. Um, And that's, and so he's saying that if you're 200 pounds and you want to be 150 pounds, you'd get about 150 grams of protein a day or a little bit less for the 0.7. Super simple. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That's, point,
1: yeah. 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 yeah, That's right. And so like, yeah.
0: That's going to be at the one, one gram per pound of body weight. Um, And you goal body weight. If you want to be 150 pounds, you're going to get around hmm. 150 pounds, 150 grams go. of protein at that one gram, or there you, you go. can go a little bit lower. Or a little mm-hmm. bit higher on some days it's really not that serious kind
1: of yeah thing. it's it's okay. really <laughs> not that serious and and honestly most people will do just fine at the 0. 0.7 figure
0: yeah
1: um a lot of people they they easily consume more than that and really there's there's very there's little to no downside of of highballing your protein and yeah. uh the common worry is what about my liver and what about my kidneys well the evidence is just not there to support the idea that the human body cannot handle that protein. It just in, in general, beyond certain amounts, if anything, yeah. it, it it can't handle carbohydrate and fat beyond certain amounts more, True. you know, more than it can handle protein Um, in terms of just, you know, long-term um, adaptations and metabolic health and all that other stuff. And so uh, yeah, total daily protein, it, it it, it's not a hardcore, hard and fast you have to have um this amount otherwise your life is gonna gonna not work out uh, as long as you're in the ballpark as long as you're yeah. in the ballpark then then yeah. you'll you'll be fine
0: well now, um, and, and you said even if somebody, let's say, because a lot of a lot of people uh, that I that I work with now, uh, they're just not used to eating that much protein, and it, it's obviously it's very um, filling, and so they just kind of. And I'm like, no, don't worry about it. Like, just start with a hundred grams and work your way up. Um, yeah. So that point five it's still going to be beneficial if they're coming from a low place, right?
1: No doubt about it.
2: Yeah.
0: To to just yeah. to just increase it slowly. It's, it's not pointless to, to not, to, to let's say, cause we have people that might say, well, I didn't get 135 grams of protein today. And they're like, oh, forget it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm just not going to go for it again. where so I'm like, oh, that's actually pretty good. You know, so they, they kind of throw in the towel almost, um, where, you know, hundred grams is still better and it's still okay. And if you feel good there and you're getting results, then that would probably still suffice. Is that what you're saying?
1: Absolutely. It would. And. You know, really, um, people can people can have healthy long lives on protein intakes that are not high to the degree that we're, we're talking about now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But if you just want to optimize muscle retention, especially into older age, yes. or if you want to get the most out of your training, mm-hmm. and if you want to maximally control appetite. then you really are kind of going to want to work towards the 0.7 grams per pound figure and above in some cases. Yeah.
0: Most people don't, I think, like you said, don't really have a hard time getting that in once they look at their food and realize how much, how easy it is to really get that protein level. And especially if you're eating meat, it's pretty easy.
1: Oh yeah, totally. And if, and if you're okay with, a protein shake (laughs) protein shakes and stuff Mm because i I, i'll have one to two protein shakes a day on the days i have two protein shakes that's like 80 grams of protein taken care of right there through protein powder
0: yeah and so
1: it becomes really really easy to get the rest of it from other sources like meat and eggs and dairy Mm -hmm. and the incidental protein from the plant sources as well
0: And I think once you, once you start thinking that way, I'm sure your family lives this way. I got, also, I forgot to mention, you have to go follow his wife. She's amazing. Lots of tips and recipes um, on Instagram as well. Um, You guys are very protein forward, I guess, um, in in nature. And so is my family. You know, we're just kind of old, we're just old meatheads that just make a bunch of turkey and chicken in the beginning of the week. And we just take out of that and put it in meals during the week. And our kids just kind of know there's, a rolled chicken in the fridge. You know, so if you start to live that way, I think mm-hmm. that it, it gets a little bit easier sometimes too.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of mythology surrounding all the macronutrients,
0: mm-hmm. including
1: protein. Including protein. Yeah, it's
0: a it's a big word right now. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of all over the place and they'll will move on to something else in the next few months or years. You know, um, right now protein is the focus. Uh, so right. I wanted yeah. to kind of get that underway. I that was a question across the board to get it from you, uh, the answer for that. Um, can
1: I add? Can I add a little bit to it? Because mm-hmm. yeah. I know that this is something that people wonder about, and a lot of people have this idea that uh, you can only, in quotes, absorb a maximum of uh, thirty grams of protein. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> that's just not. That's just not true. Uh, and there's a ton of data supporting the falsehood of that belief. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's a recent study that just rolled out within the last month, within the last couple of weeks-ish, mm-hmm. by Jorn Tramaland and uh, Jorn Traumalen and uh his group and Luke Van Loon's group in Maastricht University. Mm-hmm. And they tested a hundred gram protein bolus and they compared it with a 25 gram protein bolus. And Both doses, including the 100-gram dose, there was negligible oxidation or loss of of protein. So uh, even if you were to sit there and have 100 grams of protein, especially if it was within a mixed meal um, with the other other nutrients, other other macros, other foods, Mm -hmm. then your body will take essentially as long as it needs to to digest and utilize virtually all of it. Yeah, And so uh, this whole idea that you're going to waste protein if you consume more than 30 grams at a time is false. Now, a kind of technical little distinction needs to be made between the body using protein for its multitude of metabolic needs Mm -hmm. versus using dietary protein specifically for muscle protein synthesis.
0: Okay. So that's another word that we were going to talk about. So just keep going. This is (laughs) great.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So when when you ingest protein, the body can use it for a a myriad of of cellular processes from just immunity to structural components of the lean tissues, the various lean tissues of the body um, to various cellular purposes. And the and muscle protein synthesis is not necessarily a, a major priority for the body can
0: you explain what that is really quick sure um, what the sure. Protein, muscle protein synthesis is uh-huh. and then kind of explain the leucine I know you're probably going to go into that but um, those yeah. are a couple of things that um, maybe my listeners would maybe not know and
1: yeah sure sure mm-hmm. so kind of taking a couple steps backward mm-hmm. Um the your body's muscle mass the the way that what's going on with it is is called is a dynamic process called muscle protein turnover so there's a cycle of synthesis and breakdown so muscle protein synthesis is the acquiring of new muscle proteins that can eventually turn into muscle mass
2: mm-hmm.
1: and protein breakdown is kind of the opposite so that's, there's this anabolic process of muscle protein synthesis, and then there's this catabolic process of muscle protein breakdown. And this is a constant cycle that's going on throughout the course of the day. Okay. And so when muscle protein synthesis outpaces muscle protein breakdown over time, then that's how you gain muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So that's how that works. And so in order to gain muscle, you have to make sure that muscle protein synthesis in the course of the day and certainly through the course of the week is greater than muscle protein breakdown. And we do that through a combination of making sure you have enough calories, enough protein, and that resistance training is happening at the same time. Yeah. And so that's, that's kind of the significance of it. So muscle protein synthesis is sort of a short-term snapshot measure of what would, over time, manifest as muscle growth. So studies that look at muscle protein synthesis are really looking at this short-term proxy for uh, muscle growth over time.
0: Okay. Yeah. Awesome explanation, and I think it. I think. I think some of those words get thrown around. and People kind of don't know what they are, um, and then yeah. people just use them. So there's your definition. It was very <laughs> well put uh, for Thank everybody you. to understand. Yeah. Um, So you're saying that uh, our bodies can absorb, and it was funny, I was listening to a recent podcast that you were on, Um, by the way, he was just recently on one of the top 10 health um, and fitness podcasts. Um, So that was pretty cool. But I was listening to a podcast you were on and, and you kind of joked and said, um, you know what's the protein going to do it's just going to spew out your ears like when you don't have <laughs> it like it's got to go somewhere and it just made me laugh a little. <laughs> like oh you know that's actually true like where is it supposed to go um so yeah. so exactly so you can and, and you said it was up to 100 grams was what they did the study
1: that's what that that's the high dose that they tested okay. and you know what for most people on the planet it's just not practical they like, Most people tap out at like 50 grams at a time. I could
0: never eat a hundred grams of protein at one time. Um, I mean, maybe I could force myself because that's another side note of bodybuilding. You tend, you learn to not listen to your body, which is not good, but that's another conversation, (laughs) but, um, just actually listening to your body. I could never eat that much protein in one sitting. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, when you look at the body of studies, looking at what single dose of protein maximizes muscle protein synthesis there is typically a, a plateau at around 30 to possibly 50 grams okay so for
0: that pro, for that muscle protein synthesis for 30,
1: muscle protein yes. synthesis specifically
0: yes yeah for it, it kind of
1: tends to plateau right yeah. right so the recent study by Jorn uh comparing 25 grams with 100 grams you really kind of wish there was an intermediate dose there, right? To see where, does it where stop? yeah, where that whether there is a plateau in muscle protein synthesis because in the majority of previous studies, it it does plateau out at de- depending on the population, depending on the the exercise yeah. protocol, and depending on the training status mm-hmm. of the subjects. It really does it have a ceiling effect. Sure, I mean, thirty, 30 so- to fifty ish grams, yeah.
0: So basically he's saying get 30 to 50 at a time um, and you'd be safe to say that's going to help promote the muscle growth that the majority of people are looking for in regards to um, training and muscle strength and gain 30 to 50 grams. Yes. Don't go pound a hundred grams of protein just because somebody (laughs) on the internet said there was a study that said you can digest a hundred grams of protein. That's (laughs) probably not the best bet.
1: Yeah. And, (laughs) and you know, Pam, there's, there's the theoretical side, and then there's the practical side. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to emphasize that even though theoretically, and this is a paper that I wrote with my friend and colleague, Brad Schoenfeld, where we asked the question, how much protein per sitting is, is maximal for building muscle? How much protein mm-hmm. per man? And we looked at all the the research, and we arrived at the conclusion that it's somewhere between 0.2 to 0.25 grams per pound of body weight. Now that's protein per meal that would maximize muscle protein synthesis. So um, for my my friends abroad mm-hmm. who don't like pounds, um, 0.4 to 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight would be the per meal protein dose mm-hmm. that would maximize the anabolic effect or that would maximize muscle protein synthesis. hmm
0: Okay. Um, and so that's, that's all we all have here heard the, the, okay, one, one last question to go to that.
1: Oh, uh, and remember what you're going to say, please remember, Mm -hmm. I I I wanted to add that I would speculate that there's not much difference between somebody perfectly distributing their protein like that, Mm -hmm. you know, with the 0.4 to 0.6 doses, over the course of four meals to reach that magic 1.6 to 2.2 daily total. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would speculate that there's not a meaningful difference between doing that and splitting it up in three meals.
0: Okay. So, okay. So it doesn't really matter. Meal timing is what you're saying. Cause that was, that was probably another question. Um, How many meals, how
1: how many meals, how many meals you do Mm it? Like, I think that we can look at theoreticals all day, but you know, in the real world, eating mixed meals and being in the fed state for most of the day anyway, I think that a minimum of three protein feedings a day is going to take care of that for most people. Now, if you're a competitive bodybuilder and you're on the fringes of these extreme physique goals, Mm -hmm. then it might not be practical to get anything less than four protein feedings a day to hit your toes. Right.
0: Yeah. I think I was like, Four to seven times a day, I was eating. <laughs> you know, yeah, um, for a yeah. long, long time, many, many years of my life. Um, that's uh-huh. just how my life was structured because that's the life I lived. But that's very different than what I live today, um, yeah. and it wouldn't work for me. Um, you know, uh, it just as as a mom, and you know that, that kind of stuff. It's just not fun to bring your meals all the time. Um, so and and, so,
1: and at the risk of of making you forget what you're gonna say,
0: I wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> okay good
1: good i'm gonna add i'm gonna add one more thing
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the the goal of muscle gain and the goal of fat loss appear to have different uh needs as far as protein feeding frequency in the day okay, okay. so for somebody who just wants to maintain an average level of muscle mass mm-hmm. while losing fat mm-hmm. the amount of protein feedings a day really it doesn't matter at all Like if somebody wanted to go wild and have one meal a day, get all their protein in one meal, and there is a fringe population like that,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: then they will likely retain their average amount of muscle mass while losing fat. Um, Because it's, and there's a lot of research showing very low meal frequency, one to two meals a day, Mm -hmm. or even just eating every other day zero wow. calorie alternate day fasting mm-hmm. still what people are still holding on to their lean body mass now if you were to try to use that try to maintain alternate day fasting and try to gain muscle as quickly as possible that's not going to happen
2: yeah
1: um and most intermittent fasting variants uh, um are not going to be conducive to to muscle growth but my point is if you're trying to lose fat as a primary goal and mm-hmm. keep muscle, then the body is much more forgiving and resilient in the face of low frequency of protein feedings in the course of the day or the week.
0: Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that makes complete sense. So my next question, it was just kind of all related to that too. Um, and, and what he's saying is you can you can eat all your protein at once. You can eat one meal, two meal, three meal, four meal, whatever fits in your life and your day. Don't overcomplicate it. Um, you know, go for a number, aim for that. And, uh, you can still gain muscle as long as you're having the output and getting the protein most of the time, one meal, two yeah. meals, what have you. Uh, now the question yeah, and, is, and, and if you're uh, trying to
1: lose fat, the body is much more forgiving of that, that low, low meal frequency. If you're trying yeah. to lose fat, if you're trying if to gain muscle your... at a high level, mm-hmm. then you've really got to kind of, you know, pay attention to distribution and getting those, doses and get and hitting that throughout the
0: day
1: day, that's
0: right Mm -hmm. um and again so this kind of goes with that too was my just real quick question Mm. uh you know again my my husband and i we are just very kind of protein forward we're used to just having meals um three meals two snacks it's kind of just life uh sometimes we skip meals you know and and so it all kind of it's kind of just the way that we live um However, my question was, okay, so you have the 30 to 50, that kind of makes sense for muscle gain. And I mean, I would be lying if I'm not always trying to gain a little muscle, <laughs> especially as we age. I think you, you used the word gain-tain, and I loved it. That's I hooked cool. on it, and I, I tag yeah. you when I use it. Um, yeah. But it's kind of gaining while we're maintaining what we have, because as we age, you know, it's a little bit harder. For sure. Um, you know, but what about like those 10 gram, 15 gram snacks of uh, protein, uh, where you're not kind of getting that maximum protein synthesis or leucine? Um, Is that kind of, should we wait to eat those? Is it pointless just to eat an apple? Can we eat like, you know, my husband's a big beef jerky? Can he, you know, is that, does that count towards your protein when we're trying to gain muscle? Or should you just save it and put it in a bigger meal?
1: That's a that's a darn good question. Um, muscle protein synthesis is more like the the um, the magnitude to which it happens is more like a dimmer switch
0: mm-hmm. than an
1: on and off switch. So the low doses count as well. Okay.
0: Yeah. 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 So, so we're, we're safe to just keep eating the beef jerky and apple in the middle of the day or cheese sticks. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's, and you guys for listening, um, that is, this is specifically talking about muscle gain and fat loss. Um, you know, because there is a line where, you know, healthy eating can kind of have this skewed, um, perception where people get very, um, I hate to use the word disordered, but sometimes it can get to to over that line. So I want to make sure I speak to the people that do listen to me, that we do talk about those things. Um, You don't have to freak out about it. Um, And just know that when I talk about like the small amount of protein and the 30 gram protein, the 50 gram protein, that's really just for maximum muscle gain and kind of a general idea. Um, And that's why I wanted to bring that up. So Alan's saying... Yeah, it's fine to eat those snacks as long as your protein at the end of the day is is meaning.
1: Yeah, I, it's worth emphasizing, Pam, mm-hmm. that if you get the cake right, then that stuff is just a the thin layer yeah. of icing.
0: Yeah. So I really yeah. wanted to make sure I, I, I noted that and talked about that for a second because some people can misunderstand these conversations and they can, I mean, because there's only little sound bites on social media and all Mm -hmm. over. And that's where I think, unfortunately, wellness gets this bad rep right now. Um, And, and fitness and health in general, because people hang on to these one little sound bites that they heard, and then they just hold it black and white Mm -hmm. when life is not black and white
2: that's right
0: <laughs> um so Agreed. i just kind of wanted to throw that out there too um that there's he's not saying i'm not saying the industry isn't saying you have to do those things this is just where the research is and this right. is just for you to know and to put it in your thought process when coming up with the way that you want to eat in regards to your goals Yeah. right we're, we're safe to agree it. On that. okay <laughs> good,
1: good word preaching
0: <laughs> i just i just always want to throw that out there because Uh, You know, I think there is just this big misconception sometimes when people are looking into looking up to you or maybe myself or my husband or anybody else that they might look up to in fitness and think, well, gosh, I have to eat that way. I'll never accomplish that. Well, no, it's not. You know, this is just this is just the research. You'll find your way along the way. Um, And these are just for you to, to know. So, a.k.a. Nobody's judging you if you don't eat 30 grams of protein at every meal.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and (laughs) even that objective is like, it's a specialized objective, you know? And, and in some cases it can be a practical thing like with the elderly population, for example, who only eats like, you know, two, two major hits of protein a day, it's like, you really want to push them into, you know, try to hit, try to hit a certain minimum per meal. Because and it's don't, hard for don't them. skip yeah. meals.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is hard it, for them. Yeah, I, I actually, I am um, an intensive cardiac rehab director um, as well. So I have the privilege to work with, um, you know, heart patients. And a lot of them are are much older. And they really don't understand the protein conversation. So I'm sure walking into my cardiac rehab, they never knew they were going to get a bro for their, for their <laughs> oh, <laughs> director. And I teach them, though. I love to teach them to bring that to them. We exercise, I teach a lesson and I feed them protein, you know, so I know they're getting that protein, Um, you know, and I'll lead some of them to this conversation because they're interested in some of it. Um, But I I do like that you brought up that older population because uh, not everybody has bodybuilding, you know, goals or um, even physique goals. These people are just trying not to fall down and break a hip. Um, yep. you know, so, so you're saying like break that down a couple of meals, make sure you get your total number because generally speaking, uh, they're only eating one or two protein meals a day.
1: Yeah. If you can encourage them to like, look, instead of skipping breakfast or having this really tiny amount of protein, that's just incidental within the, you know, stereotypical breakfast, mm-hmm. try to proactively get a solid hit of protein at breakfast just yeah. as a start of boosting your total daily protein, because typically the pattern of protein intake amongst the elderly population, they'll get like 5% of their protein needs at breakfast, and then they'll get like another 10%, 10, 20% of it at lunch, and then they'll get the the big hit at um, at, dinner. at dinner. And so it's like this really skewed type of distribution that – really kind of lowers their chances of hitting a proper daily total absolute amount of yeah. protein grams that they need to hit. So um, one of the strategies is to just find the meal that they really tend to skip or they tend to really skimp on their protein intake and just uh, provide a solid hit of protein at that meal just to kind of bring everything up.
0: That's actually a really good idea and a really good tip that I will bring to people too. Is to find you know, because we all do the, you know, log what you're eating, see how you're doing, see how your day is. Um, and we do that as well uh, across patients and clients um, both. But to say, OK, well, you're not getting a lot of protein here. It'd be an easy fix to just add some protein to that meal. Yeah. 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 That's it. That's a really great take home tip. Mm-hmm. Um, so so kind of while we're talking about um, about this and then we'll we'll leave to talk about a couple other macros. <laughs> um, cool. So let's go back to. uh kind of the recreational, maybe once in a while, comp- competitive CrossFit athlete. Okay, because I told yeah. you, uh, my husband, we have a CrossFit gym. Well, he has a CrossFit gym. That's what he does. Um, and, uh, you know, so they're going to want to know, how does this look in a day? Can you give us a real quick snippet of what it could look like for a day for a morning exerciser that typically likes to work out fasted? Because that's, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of whatever you want to do, right? You can work out fasted or not, it doesn't, matter a whole lot you can tell me yes or no <laughs> that's just it kinda...
1: it's been it depends on the goal okay depends so the goal would be goal.
0: A, a a crossfit athlete they just okay. want to get stronger at their lifts um and maybe they compete once in a while but their day look for eating
1: okay um that's that's actually a tough question to to put out you know in general a, a, let's
0: say somebody that works out at 5 a.m Mm-hmm. And then they work a, a generally inactive job.
1: And do they have performance goals?
0: And do they, they do they want
1: do they want to continually get better from a performance standpoint?
0: Yeah, they all want to get stronger.
1: Okay. So, you know, if the if if performance is the primary. <laughs> okay, with body fat minimum. You almost have to choose what is your primary here and, and, but I, okay. Let's, let's imagine it's, it's dead, even (laughs) performance and, 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 you know, look, looking like, like an Adonis. Okay. (laughs) So since the performance element is there, I would not actually encourage fasted training because there always is going to be at least an edge for um, people who are competing or training in a fed state versus just a complete overnight fasted state. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it is possible for people to get accustomed enough Mm -hmm. to fasted training to be able to at least, you know, maintain and tolerate it and, and get it going. But I wouldn't say ultimately that that would be the optimal approach to do it. So okay. if you can give yourself some lead time to have some pre-workout fueling gotcha. um, just a mixed macronutrient meal protein targets being what would maximally stimulate um, or at least robustly stimulate muscle protein synthesis somewhere in the, on the low end of 20, 25 gram range, the high end 40, 50 gram range of, of protein. And a roughly equal amount of carbohydrate okay. and fat. I can kind of take take it or leave it at that point. But um, lead time pre exercise is going to vary with the individual. Some people just don't feel good at all unless there's at least three hour gap between their the completion of the meal and the start of the training bout. Whereas some people they're ready to, ready to go and they they prefer it like. You know, within thirty minutes out, sixty minutes out, yeah. and it can depend on the size of the meal the person eats as well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's one of the reasons why it's hard to kind of universalize a, a scenario. Sure. But sure, but um, I but yeah, I would I trying. would say, <laughs> yeah, no problem. I, I would say if performance is an objective, then don't don't do it fast. At,
2: okay, at
1: the very okay. minimum, minimum two to three hours out, have a. Have a mixed macronutrient meal, um, and then.
0: Would you say like low in fiber, or would it be um, something that was a little faster digesting carbohydrate within that couple hour range versus like a higher fiber? Or does it? Yeah, kind of if, vary? if it's
1: if it's a couple hours out, then it won't necessarily matter. Mm-hmm. If it's a typical sized meal, mm-hmm. um, if you are the type to fuel like six thirty to sixty minutes out. Then you're gonna want to pare the meal size down a little bit, and fiber can. I could sort of take take or leave the the fiber thing, honestly, unless somebody has this proclivity for just pounding super high fiber meal like immediately pre exercise, yeah. that that could present some issues during the training bout.
0: Okay. Okay. So eat a little something. And Mm -hmm. then after they exercise, which is, you know, an hour or so, let's say two hours, um, Mm -hmm. with their, you know, maybe they're doing some cardio maybe they're doing their CrossFit exercise and cool down. So let's say two hours, then what would a post-workout meal look like for them? Um, let's say it's a 190 pound male, Mm -hmm. um, that is looking for those performance and goals.
1: So the interesting thing, like, you know, you start with, Start with the protein dose.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, if you want to kind of get technical, then it's like you might as well make the protein dose maximize muscle protein synthesis. Sure. And the way to do that is making sure the dose is somewhere between 0. 0.4 to 0. 0.6 grams per kilogram of body weight, which is roughly 0. 0.2 to 0. 0.25 grams per pound okay. of body oh, weight. So, point. once again, for most people, you're looking at this 30 to 50 ish gram hit.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm. And carbohydrate um, for, for something like cross thing about CrossFit, it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. a pure endurance thing. Yeah. And unless you have more than one competitive bout in the day, Mm -hmm. then the post-exercise carbohydrates are not, they're not really going to be crucial. Okay. Like from post-exercise on, if you're just having one session in the day, mm-hmm. then the carbohydrate, you can consume it at your convenience as long as you hit the targeted total by the end of the day. Okay. Um, yeah. That's I, good to uh, know. But I, I am much more of a stickler for being locked and loaded with, with a pre-exercise meal Mm-hmm. rather than, um, okay, post-exercise, you've got to get carbs in. Okay, get the protein in. Take advantage of your feeding opportunities for to create these anabolic spikes in sure. muscle protein synthesis. But you don't need the post-exercise carbohydrate to be co-ingested with the protein post-exercise in order to maximize the anabolic response or, or to maximize even recovery, unless you have another competitive bout happening within the next eight hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: At which point, yeah, you would want to Mm
0: -hmm.
1: fuel up with carbohydrate, but that's more of a pure endurance sport with multiple events in a day type of thing. There's a rich body of literature, Pam, looking at what happens when you consume protein versus when you consume protein plus carbohydrate post-exercise. Okay. Um and, and measuring muscle protein synthesis. Mm-hmm. And once you cross over a certain dose of protein, then additional carbohydrate does not further anabolic the anabolic response. It does not further muscle protein synthesis. Uh some may argue that, oh, okay, well, you're it might further the inhibition of muscle protein breakdown, but Well, there's multiple studies that have looked at um, net protein balance, and um, that would be a a very small factor, if at all. And not only that, I mean, we can look at a study by Hulmi, H-U-L-M-I, and and colleagues. This was a 2015 study. And the only study, amazingly, to look at this, where they compared a group of um, trainees who consumed just protein post-exercise with a comparator group who consumed protein plus carbohydrate post exercise. And both of the doses of protein and the, the, you know, the combination dose, they were both robust doses, Mm -hmm. no difference in uh, training adaptations by the, by the end of the study.
2: Yeah.
1: And you know, there, there was uh, no significant differences in total macronutrient intake between the groups. But the, the main point is for the goal of, muscle size and strength it's like okay total carbs by the end of the day versus how perfectly you shove them next to the protein post-exercise
0: yeah no, that's great information so you could have your you could say if you wanted to eat more carbs at dinner you could do that or you could do it post-exercise it really doesn't matter that's That's interesting because i think old school bodybuilding we always timed our carbs you know for fat loss was always like post-workout like that's your biggest carb you know um and that was kind of that was obviously that was a long time ago. Um, yeah. and, and that was always kind of one of those things that was drilled into your head. Like you have your carbs and your protein post-workout, but it's really the protein that matters. So that's a good take. It's,
1: it's really a protein that matters. And you know what, Pam, it definitely won't, it won't hurt
0: mm-hmm. to
1: have the carbs at that time. And if you're hungry yeah. at that time, then by all means, you know, have protein in a heck of a lot of carbs. Yeah. But if you're somebody who is economizing on your total energy intake, and by extension, you don't have all the carbs in the world to work with through the course of the day, and you would rather consume it, let's say at dinner and you train in the day, Mm -hmm. then you're not shooting yourself in the foot by shoving your carbs over to the dinner point rather than forcing it post-exercise.
0: That's really great information because again, that's one of those kind of misunderstandings um, and where people get bits of information. Maybe that Maybe they just didn't, we didn't know before and then they haven't bothered to look into it again, (laughs) you know? So, so there's that part of it too. So that's really good information. I personally like to eat carbs after my, after my exercise. I like to eat a little bit before, like a couple dates and a protein shake or something. Then I'll exercise and then post-exercise, give me a big old protein smoothie bowl. I don't know if you have those Ninja Creamies, those ice cream makers. (laughs) I look forward to it every day.
1: I've heard of them. I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it. I've heard of them. So
0: before. great. Uh, so there's a good forty grams of protein. Just it's it's yeah. it's amazing. I'm like, where was this when I was competing? Um, and then uh and then a big old bowl of oatmeal or something. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's my preference, you know. And then no, that's, I can taper off carbs during the day, and I don't. It doesn't bother me. Um, but a lot of, the, of people like their. The carbs beauty day. of
1: it is you can inter, you can individualize it, right? Because
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know that's your <clears> preference, and that's totally great. And yeah. you can take somebody else let's say they're you know they're working with less carbs allotted to them than than mm-hmm. you are and they have sort of you know a little bit more limited opportunity to mm-hmm. as, as to how much carbs they can consume and when and if they do have a preference for a more carb heavy dinner then that option is available to yeah. them yeah yeah and yeah
0: no, I love that. And my and my husband is the opposite. So he would rather just have, he's usually working a lot during the day. He's just going to have a quick shake and maybe, you know, to get his protein and maybe an apple or fruit or something where he yeah. likes to save his main carbs for dinner because he likes to sit mm-hmm. down and enjoy his meal, you know, where yeah. I'm busier at yeah. night. So I would rather just not, you know, so it's, it's all yeah. kind of a preference thing. Um, it
1: absolutely is. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I love that that the science backs that and that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, that's okay to do because you still do wonder sometimes like, am I really maximizing this? Um, <laughs> so that's good to know. Um, I yep. do want to from that go into there's a couple kind of uh, myths that I kind of want you to talk about or buzzwords maybe sure. that I had questions in my Facebook group. I said that I was going to talk to you and we had some questions in, in that group. Um, so a lot of it was, uh, you know, muscle gain and all those things protein timing went over that um and fasted workouts we talked about that but the one thing that uh, that we wanted to talk about was um fat adapted carb adapted and can you ruin your metabolism so there's three questions so Ooh. what is fat adapted um Ooh. that's kind of a word that kind of gets thrown around um and then um carb adapted as well i guess would be the same. okay
1: and there was a third one what was the third yeah
0: yeah the the um fat adapted carb adapted and then um can you i guess it would be the starvation mode so let's debunk that okay got Um, it yeah can you ruin your metabolism um and can you because i i we still hear it to this day and and well they'll say well i'm not losing any any weight because i'm not eating enough Mm -hmm. uh because i've gone Mm -hmm. into starvation mode and uh, so let's kind of talk about that. Peel those back a little bit. Yeah, sure. Fat-adapted, so, carb-adapted, starvation mode. Okay. <laughs>
1: so fat adaptation, it's also called keto adaptation. Mm-hmm. And it's a purportedly magical state that you reach when you carb restrict to a severe enough degree for a long enough period of time. Okay. And so what the what keto proponents... Tout as fat adaptation is this sort of magical state where you enter and you sustain um, elevated circulating levels of blood ketones, which is what happens when you carb restrict to roughly 50 grams of carbs a day or less. Okay. And uh, within a two week period, your ketone levels will be maximal. Um, and within a one-week period, your levels of fat oxidation are going to be maximal. And so that is what's called fat adaptation, fat keto okay. keto adaptation. <laughs> now, here's the, the important little detail about uh, being fat adapted and the aspect of keto adaptation where fat oxidation has reached maximal levels. We're not talking about specifically body fat oxidation, being at maximal levels.
2: Okay.
1: Your maximal levels of fat oxidation are measured by something called the respiratory quotient. And so when the respiratory quotient is lowest, that's an indication of that you are, in quotes, burning the most amount of fat. But with a ketogenic diet, 65 to 85% of the diet is fat. Yeah. So when you increase your dietary fats, you increase the amount of fat you oxidize. You you know you, mm-hmm. you increase circulating fatty acids, mm-hmm. you increase intramuscular fatty acids. And so yeah, you're a fat burning machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that doesn't mean like you're burning off fat from your love handles.
0: Ah, yeah, people they they get it twisted. They get the terms you're, with it.
1: You're a fat-burning machine because you've got a stick of butter coursing through your <laughs> digestive tract.
0: So how can you not burn it, right?
1: You burn what you eat, yeah. man. Yeah. And and so um and this is so why. There's
0: really no there's no benefit to doing that <laughs> other than if you want to eat a lot of fat.
1: Okay. So you know <laughs> there there are some benefits, but they tend to be temporary. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So like, a lot of people are under the impression that uh, keto is special, you enter this special metabolic state where you're a fat burning machine and look at all the studies showing keto outperforming high carb, low fat for weight loss and fat loss and stuff. Mm -hmm. And while yes, there are a lot of studies showing keto outperforming the conventional high carb, low fat diet, or certainly the standard American diet standard western diet yeah. for weight loss and fat loss while keto does there are a ton, of, a ton of studies showing that it's superior to that for weight loss and fat loss when you collect all the studies that do the right thing and match protein and mm-hmm. match total calories between the diet groups then you don't see an advantage of because the keto because keto
0: is low protein true keto, keto is lower protein right?
1: The original, the original keto was like, it it topped out at like 1.2 to 1.5 grams per kilo max, Mm -hmm. um, for protein intake. Like when, um, Jeff Volek and Steve Finney put out their, their keto book for, um, you know, for their paperback, Mm uh, they, they advised against going above like 1.5 grams Per kilogram of body weight, otherwise you might get in quotes kicked out of ketosis. Yeah. But subsequent research, particularly by Louise Burke and her colleagues, they found that even protein intakes above 2.0 grams per kilogram, so right around a gram per pound, Mm -hmm. still keeps you in ketosis.
0: Oh. Yeah. So that
1: is sort of a.
0: To me. Mm-hmm. It's sort
1: of a um, a, a longstanding uh, belief that you need to be low protein to remain in ketosis, but the march of research kind of disproved that uh, within the last uh, five, six, seven years.
0: Okay, so that's pretty new.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: and then what about carb-adapted? Is that a thing, or is that just uh, another word that people are putting yeah, out there? Yeah, that...
1: <laughs> that's just kind of that's kind of not a thing I guess that say. just
0: is that just saying that you uh, you can process and digest all macronutrients at that point
1: <laughs> basically I, I mean th- the body is perfectly well adapted to handle each of the macronutrients mm-hmm. uh, the only in quotes macronutrient that the body has trouble dealing with is actually a toxin which is, is alcohol yeah. Um, so it has very strict limits as far as what kind of maladaptive things happen beyond certain Mm -hmm. dosing. So would you consider,
0: uh, the missing macro alcohol or fiber?
1: Uh, it's definitely, I would say it's fiber that. Okay. Okay.
0: Me too. That that we (laughs) need to focus on.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to throw a a little, little wrinkle in here with the the topic of carb adapted, Mm -hmm. um, People have varying degrees of glucose tolerance. Okay. And this is determined by lifestyle, Mm -hmm. by um, genetics as well, Uh, Mm -hmm. by, you know, certainly by the training program aspects, the training goals that determine the person's lifestyle and habits and and training program and all that stuff. Um, People will vary in their glucose tolerance or their ability to um, properly handle and partition carbohydrates towards lean tissue versus towards fat tissue. Um, Once again, it's a combination of genetics and environment that determine that. Mm -hmm. So it's not, um, it's not right to universalize a carbohydrate prescription for everybody. Mm
2: -hmm. Um,
1: It should be based on personal preference uh, and, tolerance when especially when you're talking about certain populations like diabetics pre-diabetics yeah yeah Uh, they 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 don't handle carbs in the same way that uh, the normal population does Mm
0: -hmm. no that's that's a great point uh because there's going to be a lot of different people that listen to this Mm -hmm. uh in all those different camps so that's a that's a good point to bring up and then the last one of that of that question series was starvation mode is that a thing yeah okay
1: yeah, that's a juicy, juicy question. <laughs> it's heard <laughs>
0: all over the place. I'm not losing because I'm not eating enough. And I was like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. That's
0: never happened yeah, so, to me.
1: <laughs> so th- there has been a lot of research done on the starvation mode phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And um, it, a- as you mentioned, it, it's where people think that they're not eating enough calories and therefore their body's metabolism comes to a, stre- a screeching halt.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, okay. So that does happen, but not to that dramatic degree that people think it does. Okay. And the, the research showing that it does happen was on people with severe degrees of obesity who were, who underwent extreme diets, like, like the biggest loser contest. Okay. So in the biggest loser contest, there was a roughly 15% drop in resting metabolic rate Mm -hmm. that couldn't necessarily be accounted for by drops in metabolically active tissue like lean body mass. And so there's this sort of mystery drop in metabolism with that population who underwent just extreme, like semi-starvation for prolonged periods of time with super-duper high amounts of cardio. Yeah,
0: yeah. Not a lot of resistance training. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and, and, and that's a recipe for disaster.
0: Sure, for a lot and, of things, right? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Health wise. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, so that's one one end of the whole um, metabolic adaptation example. The spectrum of, of examples mm-hmm. there, but if we go a little bit more realistic uh, in the general population, so the only way that you can incur a "in quote" slowing of metabolism mm-hmm. is if you lose weight too quickly, and you lose too much lean body mass. So, if you can avoid those things, then you 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 will be fine. You won't experience this undue, this massive drop in in quotes metabolism. And usually, what happens, and and this this is where it could get complicated. I'm going to try not to complicate this answer. Mm-hmm. When people diet, um, their total daily energy expenditure can go down through a number of ways. Mm-hmm. So it can go down through active energy expenditure and or it can go down through their resting energy expenditure or resting metabolic rate. When people diet, if they maintain their lean body mass, then their resting metabolic rate will not drop significantly. Or, or, meaningfully. Okay. Um, what does often dr- happen, and this is common across dieting studies, is that people's non exercise activity, thermogenesis mm-hmm. or NEAT, yeah. or the non, non exercise physical activity, you can call it.
0: That was a question. It, so we're answering that right now. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's what typically goes down two to 300 <laughs> calories very commonly. Okay. In a given dieting study that lasts a number of weeks. Okay. So, um, and that's the thing that people, people overlook is that drop in non-exercise activity. And that's really the tough thing to measure in a lot of cases. And that's where people sort of think, Hey, I'm exercising the same. Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. I'm eating the same, but I can't lose weight. Well, you're burning less calories through non-exercise activity that happens sort of some subconsciously you're fidgeting less you're walking slower you're laying around more you know you're not
0: because you're tired from dieting (laughs) right no that makes sense yep i actually you're you're in a
1: survival mode your body wants to preserve as much energy as
0: possible yeah, I heard some uh, uh, one of your podcasts you were on and you talked about that with um, people that were trying to gain muscle and it was really yeah. hard to, to gauge because a lot of these guys were eating all this stuff and then they weren't taking into account, they're fidgeting and they did it more often because they were yeah. just kind of you know eating more or what have you. So I think there's a lot of gray areas in, in all of that.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because like when you try to gain weight, the same thing <laughs> happens. Because yeah. the body, all the body wants to do is survive, and right. the body's definition of surviving is just keep everything the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Don't don't lose too much weight. Don't gain too much weight. So that's the body's biological drive: is to just stay the same, just mm-hmm. preserve homeostasis at any by any means necessary.
2: Yeah. And
1: so, yeah, even when people try to gain weight, it's really typical. Like for studies that impose a a, a thousand calorie surplus and mm-hmm. sustain it for a number of days or, or and certainly the ones that sustain it for a number of weeks, then you'll see energy expend non-exercise energy expenditure go up by three, four hundred calories yeah. on average.
0: Yeah. And I always I always use my husband because bless his heart, he's a hard gainer, um where he just gets to <laughs> you know he even even into our forties, he still just has that metabolism that is not mine. Um, It's much different uh, where he, he would try to gain weight and it Mm. would just, it's, he tends to even move more and you notice it. Um, He's he's lucky. Yeah. He's just one of those, you know, one of those guys. Fortunate.
1: He's a fortunate guy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. um, But, you know, he works hard too, so.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah, we got to make sure we throw that in there.
0: I don't
1: want to take that away from him.
0: Um, he does, he does work hard, but I see, you know, he's genetically, you know, I see it in my son too. He's the, he's yeah. the same build and the same way. He's constantly fidgeting and moving and even in his sleep, you know, um, that kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, we talked about, um, the fat adaption and now, now the other thing I wanted to talk about too, you kind of brought that up, um, was the. When you first began, okay, first of all, the um, the set point theory, uh, is that a thing? And if it is, can you explain it? Because you kind of just talked about how our body wants to create this homeostasis. Yeah. Is there a point where, like, if we diet so long and then our body just wants to go back to this one certain weight? Can you explain that? Do you kind of understand? Yeah, that, is, I, an, okay. that is
1: an epic question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... The set point um, hypothesis or set point theory Mm -hmm. essentially says that our body knows where it's, knows the spot, knows the weight that it wants to stay at. Mm -hmm. And it'll always gravitate towards that no matter what we do. Yeah. So we can try to get out of that for a temporary period, but our body will always kind of creep back to that. Mm -hmm. And so it, you know, the cynical view would be so ah yeah it's kind of pointless to diet because your yeah. body has a set point that you can't beat
0: yeah
1: um so that was the old thinking so the newer thinking and this is based on the collective research evidence mm-hmm. is more of a not a set point but a settling point okay, okay so the settling point it means that you can, move your set point. You can Mm -hmm. establish a new set point Mm -hmm. by building certain habits, certain lifestyle habits. And so just sort of rewiring your routine. Okay. So when, when you rewire your behaviors, when you rewire your routine and your habits, Mm -hmm. then you can actually rewire your biology.
0: Okay.
1: Now with that said, Pam, this doesn't mean you change your genetic ceiling for fat gain or fatness, mm-hmm. or your genetic basement for leanness. Mm-hmm. You can't change that, and we see this. In, given. That's yeah. just what you're
0: given. That's mm-hmm. just what you're given. Because
1: and I'll, I'll just give you an example of how these limits present themselves with. You know what let's let's look at the uh, a bodybuilding um competition example and then we'll look at kind of the general population. So with the bodybuilding example people are diff- literally different levels of leanness on stage but you yeah. know damn well that they work just as hard as each other. Yeah. Or and some of the people who are not as lean as some of the other guys they actually to even harder, harder mm-hmm. than the guys that <laughs> go ahead and Kevin Lavrone it up there. And there's just like, Oh, I think I'm going to say it's time to start prepping like six weeks out. I'm just four
0: weeks out. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to grow
1: into my contest weight and show up more shredded than everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's like, that's genetics. Yeah. Okay. And so your, your limit for leanness, you can't, you can't mess with that. It is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll take that example to the real world. Some women can push extraordinary levels of leanness without much consequences,
2: mm-hmm.
1: whereas other women, once they start dipping below fifteen percent,
0: yeah,
1: oh, menstrual cycle <laughs> just stops.
0: That's a great point.
1: And so mm-hmm. then you have to make a decision: Do I keep pushing this? Is it worth it? What's going yeah. on? You know, for the for the long term. Yeah. Whereas other women. <laughs> oh, still have the menstrual Mm -hmm. cycle. It's like, huh? Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, this is definitely genetic limitations and advantages really showing their faces here.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, And then, okay, on the other end, let's say somebody has a goal of gaining as much weight as possible. (laughs) Some people will have definite limits. To mm-hmm. practical limits to how easy or difficult that is.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so um, so yeah, it, it, it's like this. Here, here's your genetic limits for fatness, genetic limits for leanness. And some people will will sort of look like like this, some people yeah. will sort of look like this, some people mm-hmm. will sort of look like that, and you can't change that. But there's this margin in between, okay? In mm-hmm. between these limits for fat, maximal fatness, maximal leanness, that in between space,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you do have control over that. And okay. that lifestyle. is determined by lifestyle, by habits, by routines, by the countermeasures you set
2: mm-hmm. that
1: can um battle a tendency towards either overeating or in some cases, under eating in sure. more rare, more rare cases <laughs> under eating.
0: Yeah. I don't know how people forget to eat, but you know, that's
1: That's other people. That's not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Not me. Not me either. Oh man, trust me. That's why I'm so interested in this dieting stuff because I definitely. Oh my god, I love to eat.
0: Yeah, and and
1: if I let that go unchecked, then yeah, it's it's not optimal.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I I totally I see what you're saying, and I guess you know that that old thing was set point theory. I I remember again very. Late nineteen nineties, early two thousands when I first started dieting. Um, uh-huh. and that was kind of brought to me because I I don't have the best genetic pool. Um, but I knew I needed to live a different way because I didn't want mm. to happen. I saw a lot of stuff happening in my family that I didn't want to happen. So I went that other route. Wow. And uh and I remember a coach telling me, Well, if you skip past um, you know, my body always wanted to hang around this this one number. And if you get past that for eight to 10 months, then you can change your set point. I remember him telling me that, and maybe there was a little bit of truth to that saying, because by a year's time, your lifestyle will change. That's probably where that maybe came from. Um, And and so so there's many
1: examples of this, Pam, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. many examples of people who look completely different and have held it for many, many years. Yeah. And th- the common thread amongst those people is lifestyle change, Yeah. sustainable yeah. lifestyle change. And this is not to say that there are differences across individuals in terms of their appetite response to food. Sure. Some sure. people are definitely more hungry, more of the time than other people. And that's a genetically determined, um, characteristic, mm-hmm. but, there's always a solution. Yeah. I mean, there are different satiety levers you can pull within the diet Mm -hmm. to counteract and help those people who are hungry or hangry Mm -hmm. uh, more often than others.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, No, I, I do love that. And I, Um, and I think that probably just, you just explained that very well. That kind of probably falls into kind of changing your lifestyle, kind of changing the, your body structure a little bit through muscle mass and, and that kind of thing. I used to always say, well, I just want to gain as much muscle as I can, so I can eat more. Like that was, that was one of my things behind it. Like I, I like to eat, but I didn't want to gain a lot of body fat. So, uh, that was always kind of, um, I love it. I love that. (laughs) I love that tactic. (laughs) <laughs> i mean why not right
1: yeah um, it's win-win if yes. there's ever a win-win that was it
0: um so so that was a really good explanation of that and we can kind of control that and i think you said you know there's there's uh lifestyle and there's preferences and then there's yeah. also um you know cultural cultural differences and things like that mm, that are important yeah. to you and um and all of those things so i kind of put those things aside i don't want to take too much of your time. I could be here for like 3 hours. So um we, we Yeah, talked- me too. <laughs> we just this- we
1: just scratched the surface here.
0: I know it. I know. Maybe I'll have to have you on for another one sometime um when we get more yeah, questions. Absolutely. Um so so we went over the protein numbers. We went over the missing macro which was fiber. We didn't get a whole lot into that, but we all know it's important. Can you give us a quick maybe base number of what somebody should look for in fiber because I think with my own I, again, I I don't do nutrition plans. That's not what I do. I help people work out and remind them to work out and show them what to do. Um, But general stuff, I'm like, hey, here's the numbers. Um, But I always will emphasize fiber next to protein. Um, So what's a general number we should go for for fiber?
1: Okay. So the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, they put out a position stand. It's getting a little – it's showing a little age, but it's still – um, it's still valid. And so in their position stand on fiber, they recommend, and this is really close to what the Institute of Medicine recommends as well. So it, mm-hmm. it's like these convergence of uh, recommendations from major health agencies can be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it's better than just like listening to Joe Blow in, in, in No, in I, I
0: love it. I love it because I think it gives a lot of clout to the answer. Um, and people can trust that at least um to some degree yeah. um when there's the two that combine. So
1: sure. And at least you know this stuff is at least has been peer reviewed. You know what I mean? It's not yeah straight out of somebody's blog entry or or
0: <laughs> yeah, and that's where we get so, in trouble. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So so the target is 14 grams of fiber. For every thousand calories you consume in the diet, okay. so with let's say a typical two thousand calorie diet, you're looking at twenty eight ish grams of fiber as a target. Um, if you go over that, no big deal. And in fact, the um, Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics they don't really set a an upper limit to fiber so
0: there's no because upper limit. Okay.
1: because it's sort of the, you know what they do say is um if you just keep your fiber sources to what's inherent within plant foods
0: mm-hmm. then it's
1: just really difficult to consume too much fiber too by much. eating whole whole plant plant
0: foods. yeah yeah it would be pretty hard
1: i mean it is possible to supplement with fiber and then load it up to a detrimental degree but just yeah. getting it through food I I don't think people would do
0: that that too often. I I don't think people would get too much fiber too. I think they would probably know when to stop. Um,
1: Yeah, there would be certain (laughs) limiting factors there that would definitely make them stop.
0: Um, so that was my next question. So I usually threw out the general number of 25 to 30. So I was probably pretty in a good range to tell people. Um, and I would tell them that over any carbs or fat, I would always just say, well, you know, get your protein and then your fiber. And then I don't really, you know, you can figure out the rest. Um, that's what I would kind of
1: tell That's a good approach. And that Mm -hmm. works for most, that works for the majority of people with general fitness and health goals. Yeah.
0: So you said, and this was the next question, um, fiber types. So Obviously, you want to get it from. I think we're all kind of on the same camp. Again, anybody that's listening to this is pretty much in the same camp of um, eat. We all know to aim for whole foods, and we're not eating a lot of ultra processed foods. That's kind of not, you know, that's not the lesson here. We're probably all there. Um, but is there any preference of fiber? So whole foods, but let's say somebody is just really having a hard time getting those fiber numbers up. Um, can there be like a supplement fiber or something like that that would be beneficial for people?
1: Yeah, um, there's a lot of research showing the benefit of just simple psyllium husk. Okay. You know, like, like Metamucil. Yeah, Metamucil. Yeah, I used to take
0: it when I was bodybuilding. Uh, yeah. 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 There's
1: there there's actually quite a lot of consistently favorable effects shown by that mm-hmm. for people who you know for people who can't get their fiber numbers up. Yeah. But of, of course, so it, it, would... it would be preferable to get your get your fiber up through. Through the stuff that's inherent in food, whether you get it from a combination of whole grains, legumes, um, Mm -hmm. fruits, vegetables, as as long as you kind of cover that range, then it's not too difficult to get it in.
0: Yeah. And then what if somebody had like, um, you know, they had their, let's say they have a protein bar as a snack. Obviously, we know that's Mm -hmm. a processed (laughs) food item, but some of those do carry a pretty high amount of fiber. Um, obviously that's a supplement, but would that kind of suffice into the, the fiber too? It it
1: would count towards Mm -hmm. the total. Yeah. Okay. It would.
0: Okay. It would. Um, last question about fiber is, uh, you have the whole camp of counting net carbs. So if somebody's Mm -hmm. counting carbs, um, do you suggest that they take away the fiber or do they just count the total carbs?
1: Okay. So the, the technical answer Mm -hmm. is that fiber is kind of within the carb umbrella, Mm -hmm. but fiber is, is not as digestible. It doesn't have, it doesn't yield as much metabolizable energy as non-fiber carbs. Mm -hmm. So just put a little bit more simply, regular old carbs, (laughs) they yield about four calories per gram. Right. Fiber yields about two calories Per gram. Okay. So anybody who thinks that they can just consume fiber unlimitedly and they're not getting any calories out of it, they're well, they're mistaken. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: so if you wanted to nitpick, then you would you would just count fiber as two calories per gram. Okay. Uh, but if you didn't want to nitpick, then um, and that's fine. It, it'll depend on what your goals are. So mm-hmm. if somebody had a, if somebody had a a weight loss goal, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: then they would kind of want to err on the side of eating fewer calories, right? Yeah. And, And so if they're only counting, um, net carbs, then they would potentially be making things harder for themselves by kind of not realizing that, oh boy, that those, those fiber uh, grams are providing two calories each. Right. So, um, it, it's like, it depends on how badly you want to nitpick. Yeah. I, I, I would just, I wouldn't take the net carbs approach if you're trying to lose weight.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cause that can get you in trouble. Um, I remember doing that my first bout of bodybuilding, um, I was getting these coffee drinks and my coach was like, why are you not, you know, you should be losing weight at this point. And it was all online. And I don't know. Well, I was getting these zero calorie um, mm. coffee mm. drinks and they were full yeah. of these sauces that had fiber. And so mm. they were not, they were telling me that they weren't any calories where at the end of the day, the calorie is a calorie. <laughs> yeah. And there you had yeah. it. We found the solution. So Um, that's a good point. Um, So don't, in general, just kind of just count the carbs and make sure you're getting your fiber. That's your best bet. Yeah, that's right. Um, And with that, like, should we be eating the same on rest days um, as we do on days that we weight train and exercise? Because that's also a question, like Mm -hmm. somebody Mm -hmm. that's, uh, let's say, a general um, fat loss, muscle. I, I, with fat loss, I'm always going to have muscle gain in there too, because that's going to be our goal is to gain muscle while losing a little bit of fat, nothing crazy, nothing fast. So that's always a question amongst the groups is, hey, should I be eating the same amount of carbs, fats, protein that I'm eating on my training days, on my rest days?
1: The only time that matters. Mm-hmm. Is if there is a performance objective for the the training bout, which happens to be endurance oriented.
0: Okay. Okay. So in basically which case, just keep it across the board.
1: Yeah, in which case you would want to make sure that you're fueling properly for that athletic
0: event. Event
1: event mm-hmm. essentially. Mm-hmm. But other than that, what really kind of matters um is like well, protein is more of yeah you 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 want to be able to nail that daily. Yeah. But by the end of the, the rest of the stuff it's okay by the end of the week did you hit the average daily amount.
0: So it's going to be weekly. Um yeah. if they want to look at it Basically. in the big picture. Mhm. is weekly. In the big so picture, people yeah. can can they can carb cycle, they could calorie cycle, they could have yeah. low carbs a couple days, low calorie a couple days as long as at <laughs> yeah. the end of the week it
1: as long as Whatever at the end of the week, it, it, it checks out. Yeah. But now here here's like the, the nuance there is mm-hmm. some people actually can comply better long-term with their programs when certain days they don't feel like they're dieting.
0: Yeah, yeah. So
1: if, if somebody's just linear caloric restriction, the same deficit every day, mm-hmm. and they don't experience any days in the week where they feel like they're, you know, pulled off the gas.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: it, it, it can be less sustainable. In so that the long would be term. more
0: of like the, the diet break sort of thing. But you could even implement mm-hmm. that weekly is what you're saying. Um, it's kind yeah. of like have you, you a can have diet break days. <laughs> yeah, have yeah. a structured program when you're busy. And then when you're a little more relaxed, you could have a little more calories on those days as long as it taps out at the end of the week, as, long as it
1: checks out at the end of the week. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and like, it gets a little bit potentially complicated because, because, it's like this: when you when you train, mm-hmm. you still there there is a recovery and remodeling process mm-hmm. that lasts not just hours but days. Yeah. So a a resistance training a single bout of resistance training, a regular old bout of lifting,
0: yeah,
1: your body is remodeling at the lean tissue level for up to forty eight hours after that resistance training bout. So you have an opportunity to feed that recovery.
0: 48 hours. You guys hear that? Two days. After the bout. Yeah.
1: So, you know, if you skimp on a given day thinking, okay, I'm, I'm conserving calories. Okay. You might be, but if your goal was to let's say gain muscle or maximally preserve it, then you might.
0: It's always to gain muscle. Come on. The goal is always. To always muscle. to gain muscle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no matter what we talk about, it's always to gain muscle. Let's just set that, to some capacity.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: okay. Um. So so I wanted to go over a couple of these real quick. Uh, debunking the myths. Um, microwaves. You went over that the other day. Um, is that ruining our food? Can we use a microwave and still be safe to have our nutrients?
1: Yeah, that's a that's an old myth and in fact there's a lot of research showing that because when you microwave you don't have to subject the food to as to heat as high or as long as the time as conventional cooking. Now, I'm talking about reheating.
0: Yeah. I'm, reheating. Not, talking I'm about not talking about cooking a turkey in the, cooking in the microwave. Yes.
1: <laughs> from the raw state. I mean, then you're no, no, doing no. it wrong. I would man. never do that. You, yeah. Yeah, that's just a, i I I'm against that past. for sure. 100% man.
0: I'm talking Unless like oatmeal. a minute. Yes, oatmeal. Yeah, that's a different story. I don't think a Oatmeal,
1: different, different ball game. But yeah. yeah, no, you're not gonna put a turkey in the microwave.
0: <laughs> you're not gonna no. put a
1: filet mignon in the microwave, man. That should I'm be not a, over for that meal. That should be a felony, right?
0: Yeah. So yeah. um, <laughs> um reheating, so reheating our, our rice and chicken.
1: Yeah, Let's reheating food when you're literally talking about 30 seconds to like you know 2 3 minutes or whatever that has been shown to have negligible negligible differences in terms of its effect on uh, nutrient retention nutrient yield compared yeah. to conventional heating and in a lot of cases it has better nutrient retention okay than conventional reheating so
0: we're so safe um use microwaves and our new oh yeah we'll be safe for ourselves yep okay yep
1: <laughs> You know, okay. the, the fear of microwaves is, is unfounded across a replication of,
0: of studies. It still is out there. It's still out there. Um, the fear of microwaves, the fear of seed oils. You don't have to get all really into that because that's a whole other conversation. But can we just clear yeah. that real quick and say that seed oils are safe or unsafe?
1: They're <laughs> In the context of as... using
0: them a little bit here and there, not drinking a bottle of seed oil.
1: Yeah, they're, they're just as honestly, and it depends on the seed oil, yes. because a fun bit of trivia for you, mm-hmm. canola oil is a seed oil, yes. and it actually outperforms olive oil for improving blood lipids.
0: You know, we actually teach <laughs> that at the ICR. Um, our patients, oh, cool. are, are um, they can use olive oil, but the oil of choice for them to use for cooking, um, because obviously it's low fat, they have to improve their lipids, is canola oil. Um, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah so, so they're all viable options. I personally don't know anybody on the planet who has a bottle of cotton seed oil that they use for anything.
0: I have no idea. Right? Yeah. How would you even get that?
1: It doesn't even exist. And people <laughs> are just, they freak out. It's like, oh, Ooh. cotton seed yeah. oil. Okay. Who uses cotton seed oil? Right. Um,
0: it's in sesame oil body.
1: is actually a ton of it's
0: delicious Ton of
1: research showing its health effects. And now people who are a little more savvy with their fear mongering will say, well, you know, seed oils are rich in polyunsaturated fatty acids that are susceptible to oxidation under Mm -hmm. high heat cooking and all that stuff. And then I, the response to that is, okay, that sounds great and all, but what happens with hard outcomes? What, What happens with measurable health outcomes, either intermediate uh, outcomes like blood biomarkers or the hard endpoints like disease states or yeah or death you know mortality yeah what does the data look like with that and it's actually more in favor of the seed oils than it is for things like butter and lard yeah so because there's some people what, with
0: health issues that have to lower their lipids that's literally they need to do that to save their life <laughs> Um, so they would be better off using canola oil. If they use an oil
1: better, Uh, you know, the majority of the research shows that when you swap out, um, saturated fat, rich, uh, Mm -hmm. cooking fats, cooking oils with, um, polyunsaturated fats, then all of these markers improve Yeah. all of your risk for disease and death goes down. And you know what, if there was a, a real true threat. Of seed oils, then we just wouldn't see that with the preponderance of the evidence.
2: Yeah.
1: And look, if, if seed oils were a genuine, consistent health threat in the peer-reviewed literature, in the mm-hmm. bulk of it, I'd be the first person to say, "Hey, we need to stay away from seed yeah. oil." But yeah, that's just not the case. But
0: until I mean, that day yeah. comes, this is where the research stands. Yeah. And that's, that's what it is the, like. And that's your stance. Like how on all
1: how of this. do you? how do you want to, you know, how do you want to achieve disease through, um, oxidized, uh, polyunsaturated fat products, or through screwed up blood lipids in the march towards atherosclerosis through saturated fats. How, how do you want to die? You know yeah, what I mean? You're gonna, that's right. you're gonna get there anyway. Um, yep. the best you can do is just, um, predominate your diet with high quality foods. Mm-hmm. Um, good sources of, of oil are, Extra virgin olive oil, mm-hmm. um, canola oil. Even though my wife doesn't like the texture of it mm-hmm. and stuff, so we, so we just use um, mostly extra virgin olive oil at yeah, home.
0: We we use that at home most of the time. What about mm-hmm. avocado oil? Is that avocado that? oil we use that? as
1: well? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's another good choice. And um, I I like coconut. Anything remotely coconutty, I, I like it. Uh, I know there's some controversy about the publications that either. Like coconut oil or they don't, but I think, but, but when you look, dig deeper, the American Heart Association publications, for example, that warn against coconut oil because of their effects on, you know, blood lipids and heart health and stuff like that. They typically fail to subanalyze the studies that strictly use extra virgin coconut oil.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You can't throw the other stuff, the, you know, the refined bleached, deodorized and or um, hydrogenated coconut oils in with extra virgin um, coconut oil, which really consistently, like I've I've seen four out of five studies now showing that it doesn't change LDL cholesterol. Wow. And it can raise HDL cholesterol, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. So it, it, it overall extra virgin olive oil has neutral, neutral. But
0: either way, we blood. shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't be. I'm sorry.
1: Extra virgin oil. Coconut, oil, coconut oil. Extra, oil, extra virgin yeah. coconut yeah. oil. Yeah, not no, oil yeah.
0: um, either way, we shouldn't be drinking bottles of oil anyway, so you shouldn't worry a whole lot about it. Um,
1: yeah. And, yeah, and that's the big picture, isn't it?
0: <laughs> that's the big
1: picture. People are worrying about stuff they don't need to worry about. They're Small, missing the details. forest.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: For the tree, they're like focusing on this single tree. And they're missing the whole forest. They're mm-hmm. missing the point.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. And I and I think that's always my take home message. Like, well, what's the bulk of your diet? What's really that important? Like what other factors can we change? Sleep, exercise, you know, Um, that kind of thing. So let's not let's not focus on on just on just that one thing. So, okay, so I think we covered all all of those things. Again, there's so there's like pages. Oh, I would get people would be mad at me if I did not ask you um, about amino acid supplementation in regards to Uh, people that are following a vegan nutrition plan, Um, not people that are eating meat um, or uh, even vegetarian, but just vegans is um, amino acid supplements. Are they useful? Uh, And then creatine overall um, for the general public, losing fat, gaining muscle, creatine, amino acids.
1: You know, with the, the vegan vegan diets, there's been recent research rolled out showing that mm, they can run pretty well compared to omnivorous diets for muscle size and strength gain as long as total daily protein is at the level it needs to be, which is one point six grams which per kilogram hard, of body weight.
0: For which which that's what I'm coming they're coming from a point of they're having a hard time getting their protein levels up. So would a an amino acid supplement be beneficial for them? Well,
1: the short answer would be yes. Um, Mm -hmm. If they can't hit that optimal amount, then they can either. Now I have a preference towards people supplementing with protein powder rather than getting a, like a, let's say a full spectrum essential amino acid supplement. Although that, that would work too. Mm -hmm. I I have a, a preference towards people getting a, you know, some sort of a blend of, you know, pea protein, rice protein, soy protein,
2: mm-hmm. or just
1: any, you know, either just soy by itself mm-hmm. or pea protein by itself. Or I'd rather see people get a variety of plant proteins and not necessarily overly rely on soy protein, even though it, it's performed pretty well in the literature, looking at uh, muscle adaptations to training. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if somebody, for example, can only get in the RDA for, yeah. for protein, which point eight grams per kilogram body weight was was that like like yeah, yeah like fifty, really forty, forty, fifty 40 50 grams if they literally can only do that and sometimes that, that's the case with the elderly population mm-hmm. well, you can build a case for uh supplementing the diet with a full spectrum essential amino acid supplement
0: yeah but mm-hmm. yeah, that's a great point is to um it, it would be better if you're going to choose a supplement to just eat a protein powder there are a lot but more delicious anyway um uh, you can make them into lots of and they things. have,
1: they have more than just the isolated amino acids. They have nutrition yeah. beyond that, the you know, yeah. amino acids, but
0: sometimes there's fiber and things like that. So no, that's a, that's a really great point. Um, and then yeah, what there's about fiber, food?
1: there's antioxidants. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of good, bunch of good stuff.
0: Yeah. I got one here. So this is, I have to do plant protein cause I can't digest casein. Um, mm-hmm. my body doesn't mm-hmm. like it. Um, mm-hmm. this one has pea pumpkin and flax. Yeah. Me. Nice. Yeah. So it digests pretty well. Um, but that's my that's my choice. And I've had I've had good luck with it. So um, that's it. what, that's what really brand. Good. It's what the brand Owen. It's Owen. It's O-W-Y-N. The company actually yeah. um, I tag them all the time and they reached out and they and they had put in one of their emails because um, mm. I always pronounce it own O-W-Y-N. Mm. But it's yeah. Y okay. N. Only what you need it's a pretty good brand. I like it. Cool. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I like it. Um, so that's a good point is to just supplement with protein if you're going to supplement with something. Um, and then creatine. So that's always, you know, that's a big one. I I've taken it. I never took it for bodybuilding. I actually just started taking it, um, in my forties, uh, for health reasons, not for muscle gain. That's, Mm -hmm. that's a, you know, a side, you know, benefit of it. But what about creatine for, um, you know, muscle gain, and then just general health, uh, this is for most of my women that are 35 and up asking this question. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, creatine. creatine is one of those supplements where there's almost nothing it can't do. Okay. It's, it's almost like, and it's so you know, well it,
0: studied, right?
1: It's one of those, it, It it, the the benefits are so far ranging that it seems like just hype, you know. But it's Mm -hmm. not. It it benefits all the lean tissues across across the body. Yeah, and it even benefits joint tissue. It benefits neurological tissues, brain tissue. Um, It it, cognitive function. There's an emerging literature on on that where showing creatine helps with that it's not just for you know getting jacked and swole anymore it's um yeah. it's almost a like a conditionally essential type of nutrient I mean I, so, I'm not gonna say that yeah, you don't yeah, don't, sure. don't quote me on don't that quote
0: him on that
1: <laughs> it is a an important component and and I'm not opposed to people just throwing it into their diet as a matter of just standard you know protective uh preventives measures, mm-hmm. measures yeah
0: mm-hmm. yeah and that would um now how young can people take creatine because that's a question too uh we have you know mm-hmm. teen athletes and now i'm old enough to where we're training our clients kids um yeah <laughs> so yeah. Uh, how you know what about creatine for kids is there anything that you know you know for that there's
1: there's no there's no data really on that there's no uh systematically investigated uh, you know creatine questions with kids and adolescents but the safety profile appears to be just fine i mean there's gosh there, there's even um uh, hypotheses floating around about you know that that it may be good for pregnant women to mm-hmm. be taking creatine during that time of increased metabolic demand yeah and yeah and so yeah. certainly you know <laughs> if creatine, if creatine is good for the unborn it's good it's for good for kids. the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um I I didn't let my kids hop on creatine until they were 16. Sure. I just wanted them to get into the routine of focusing on diet first, diet first, diet first. And then yeah. you can kind of kind of get cute um after a certain point. But I, I'm not opposed. If somebody wants to throw creatine at their, you know, their 13 year olds, I I don't think it's biologically plausible to be worried about a normal low low dose maintenance dose of creatine
0: and you almost and then what is that five grams five grams, five grams but you yeah. would probably go by three to
1: three to five end. grams yeah three okay. to five grams depending on the size of the person i mean you can build a case for somebody like uh you know half thor the, the mountain in game of thrones <laughs> to be taking 10 grams of creatine a day but, but yeah but it's at typically least it's,
0: like two three to five
1: three to five that's right
0: okay three to five every day, just kind of your general. Mm-hmm. And I think I would go back to even like with with a kid, um, I you know, I don't really ever suggest that. Um I I let my kids have shakes if they want it. it's definitely not a requirement. I have a you know almost eight year old and 10 year old. They they know their way around the kitchen. They know what a protein is, you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Um but um I, I would almost I guess from the background I come from, um for supplementation wise I would probably, you know, maybe treat it as a protein shake as they got older and not really say, hey, take this creatine because it can build your muscles. Because that kind of opens yeah. up the door to like other conversations um, in that muscle building yeah, world,
1: yeah. which mm-hmm. I'm yeah. always
0: very conscious of. Um, given the world yeah. that that we're in, and and kind of what mm-hmm. my kids are exposed to, you know, with people lifting weights and things, so I guess yeah. for me, I would always be sensitive to that subject. <laughs> to say, hey, if you if you want to, you know, talk about creatine with your kids, just talk about it like a protein shake. Don't talk about it like a supplement. Because
1: because it can be a slippery slope for That's some kids yeah.
0: mm-hmm.
1: who are because under I the impression at- that.
0: I was at, you look, all at you look at the kid.
1: influencers. Mm-hmm. You you were at you were at what? I I, I, was, I like totally like I
0: said I was at an all cost um kid where I was, you know, 13, uh, 14, okay. uh, uh-huh. buying when it was legal ephedra in the middle of the mall because the girl oh, in the yeah. magazine and oxygen told me I should take that, and I did, oh, you know, at those ages. Yeah. And thank god yeah, I'm okay. Yeah. Um yeah. but that can yeah. get dangerous.
1: <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I I remember yeah, that I remember that era when they yeah. actually had that like over the counter and even on the shelves and even within drinks, there were certain drinks. Yeah. That had, had
0: yellow jacket drinks and all oh my the gosh. Things. Yeah, it was I mean, no wonder, you know, some of those uh uh I would have some rapid heartbeats and Dude, i okay, like, oh so, my gosh.
1: So there was a drink that had it and and my friends and i called it blackout cake
0: <laughs> that sounds safe <laughs>
1: because because it would just make you feel like you want to black make you feel like you're blacking out
0: like yeah. while you're
1: training it was just not a good thing at all
0: yeah um, some of this stuff so, man and then it gets pulled off the yeah. shelf because it had illegal substances and they yeah resurface they find out it after back the again fact and they put yeah. a new label on it it's that's yeah, yeah. so know your sources and creatine yeah. safe but don't open the door to the other things because, yeah. um, you said, like you said, it's a slippery slope.
1: <laughs> and another part of that slippery slope, Pam, is what the kids see on social media with yeah. these young folks totally geared up
0: yeah. in
1: their teens. And, yep. you know, they're thinking, wow, this guy's getting all the popularity, all, all mm-hmm. the glory. And, you know, all the girls are looking at this guy and, um, you know, teenage boys, they, they, they want to have the physique and they want to have this, and they're seeing these guys all juiced up, all geared up. And, um, you know, when you introduce supplements and, and substances towards that end, you just really have to be careful about how they handle it just from a, um, a a A perspective, psychological, psychosocial point of view.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I think you and I were fortunate not to have that, you know, when we were younger, because we kind of had to find our own ways and really find that 1% in the magazines. And, you know, uh, uh, we had to seek it out where now it's like in your face. And, um You know, I experienced that with my seven-year-old this morning, even just from a hairstyle that she found. She's like, let me look up a hairstyle for you to do my hair before I go to school. And it was on YouTube, and I'm trying to do it. Her hair's not as long. It wasn't as clean. I was like, babe, that's not going to work for you. She got so frustrated, and I immediately said, this is the negative side of any social media. You don't have that girl's hair. Like, (laughs) that's an unrealistic expectation for you, babe. You know, and it was just a very—it was a conversation point, but it made me even just think today, like, wow, this is the beginning, because they want this to look this so perfect way that they see, you know. Um, and, and it is—it's—it's—it's a—it's a whole thing. But I will tell you that I have educated my kids as much as I can through just conversation, and they know what I do for a living, and they—they they know that I competed and all of that thing, and they're—you know—they're into their own sports, and they know what, you know, what. PEDs are, and I have shown them images like this person does and this person doesn't. And I, I do show them the differences of people that I personally know, um, and not, and I'm not saying one's bad or one's better, but this, these two are two separate images um, of somebody that chooses to do that and somebody that doesn't. Not taking away hard work, but it's just kind of a conversation. I never want to have, you know, their head in the sand either. And maybe mm-hmm. that's a bad approach. But I feel like if we talk about it, it can be talked about a little bit more overall.
1: I think it's very important to talk about yeah. it and just be real transparent about it. And yeah, just kind of convey the message that, you know, the people who look like this, mm-hmm. they didn't suddenly just feel like their life, everything in their life is great once they hit a certain level of jackedness. Yeah, It doesn't happen point. like that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, a lot of the people who look just spectacular, a mm-hmm. lot of them are, are pretty miserable a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And so just sort of, you know, the, the kids understanding how, how how this works, you know, the risks, the risks involved and, and like, especially with hopping on um, at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it, it's a great conversation to have, and there's a lot of literature on, on this topic too. That,
0: yeah, it's a whole, nother conver- a whole nother conversation for sure. But yeah. I think the more, the more we talk about it and kind of make it just basic conversation, um, you know, and table talk and we can talk about it. It's no big deal. And and you're right, the people, when I looked, when I looked my best and I would have been the best social media trainer back yeah. in the day before social media, well, we had, we had my Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) Hey, you know, I want a lot of stuff. I want sponsorships on MySpace. Um, I I felt my worst. I was a very part of me, miserable human being. Um, Mm. But I looked the best, you know, and I would have told I would have told a mom of five, there's no excuses, just get in the gym. Where now I'm a mom of two and I'm like, well, I'm so sorry. Like, I still know some of those people. And I'm like, I'm so sorry I said that because I don't even have time. <laughs> you know, so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to look at. So anyway, um, I am so glad that you came on again. I could ask you a lot more stuff. I hope that people follow all of your stuff and I'm going to link it all. He writes a monthly newsletter uh, that you've had since like 2009. It's been a long time. 2008. Eight. Doesn't okay, you have <laughs> yeah. that newsletter, yeah. and that's monthly. It is a subscription, yep. um, but it's worth it. And you have also written a book. You, you guys, he yeah. literally mm-hmm. wrote the book on flexible dieting.
1: Right? I did. Just literally, right. the name of the book. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So, you I guys can get on. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um, and of course, follow along. Um, his social media. I will link all of your information below. I know you have a couple things coming up. Um, some like events coming up uh yeah soon yeah yeah so real they soon in a week yep. okay yeah. and that you can talk about that real that is uh something that people can purchase but they can kind of uh enter like they can talk with you guys on that how's that working oh yeah yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. well depending on how quick this episode comes out this is
0: mm-hmm. um hopefully tomorrow i usually get them out pretty fast
1: oh dang okay I forget. So <laughs> it's on january 27th so um like a week from when we're recording right now Okay, like a little bit over a week out okay and uh yeah just just go over to my my the link in my profile it it'll be in there On your it, Instagram. it's great. yeah it's a really cool seminar where uh one of my colleagues covers exercise the other one covers uh mindset psychology and the other one covers gut health mm-hmm. uh, nutrition for gut health and um i cover nutrition for muscle gain and fat loss. And um, these folks that I'm working with, uh, Chris Barracat, Casey Joe, and Dasha Golnick, they're just real high level professionals. And it's just it's insane how many people miss out on yeah. this kind of level of learning opportunity that they'll have access to for a lifetime. I mean, sure. they're making it available permanently. Okay. If you register. So, yeah. and, and, but you do have to set aside, you know, five hours on, on Saturday. Day is it uh, recorded for it those
0: loud. that, that, um, purchase it, is that? Recorded. Is it recorded? Okay. So they can it just is. watch it snippets mm-hmm. and on their own time. Well, that's really cool. Yep. Um, yeah. I love, love, love all of your work and I love your attitude towards everything because you are so very non judgmental of the space and you're very, um, you know, understanding of kind of where everybody's coming from, and that everybody's in a different spot. Uh, there's a lot of people on the social media space that can really make people feel lousy for some of the choices that they make if they were wrong, and you don't portray that. Um, and that is why I was so very excited to have you on as the nutrition expert and to clear some of the air, um, because you, I don't know, you you're really respectful in the way that even if you debunk something, you still give them space. Um, to say what they're going to say.
2: Yeah.
0: And if, and if for some reason they could prove you wrong, even if you're laughing inside, you give it to them. Um, yes. So I don't so. know. I feel like it's a real class act. Um, I love following you and your wife and I definitely will post up everything um, for everybody to follow here too.
1: Well, I want to thank you right back for <laughs> the wonderful job that you do and oh, um, the way that you're, you're able to come across and reach your audience and teach them what they need to know. It's not easy and I want you to definitely keep up the good work and I oh, sincerely thanks. want to thank you for having me on and providing such an awesome just range of questions that you know we could just go <laughs> go into. Forever you know? and ever. <laughs> yes. yeah. Um, yeah, yeah.
0: But it's it's so exciting to see. So thank you so much. It was truly an honor Um, and I'll just post everything up and I'll let you know when this drops.
1: Cool. Thank you so okay. much, Pam.
0: All right. Thank you. Bye. All
1: right.